0: My guest on today's episode of The Doctor's Pharmacy uses food as medicine in a big way. Dr. Drew Ramsey is a father, a farmer, and a psychiatrist. He's also a leading innovator in mental health, and he's here to say that food matters when it comes to treating depression, anxiety, and other mental health disorders. Today, we talk about powerful brain foods and how to eat to beat depression. We also talk about why Dr. Ramsey has decided to return to his farming roots and how this connection with food is so important. You don't want to miss this powerful episode. Welcome to The Doctor's Pharmacy. That's F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, a place for conversations that matter. And we're going to talk about something that matters today, which is mental health with Dr. Drew Ramsey. And Drew is quite an extraordinary doctor he's not the usual guy he's a farmer <laughs> he's a writer he's a psychiatrist and he's breaking ground on talking about issues that nobody really talks about which is mental health and food <laughs> well, you, you talk about it Mark. i you, do you, talk what are about the original it. guys talking about i was one of the, i was sort of the accidental psychiatrist you're the intentional psychiatrist so drew a little background on drew he's a leading innovator in mental health He combines clinical excellence, nutritional interventions, and creative media to share a different way of thinking about the brain and the mood and our mental health. He's an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons, and he's an active clinical practice in New York City. So Columbia is no slouchy place. That's pretty good. Uh, His work and writing have been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Huffington Post, Lancet, Psychiatry, NPR which named him a kale evangelist. Not only do you recommend kale, but you grow kale, which we'll get into. And uh, he's been on the Today Show, he's been on BBC, he's done some TEDx talks, author of three books, Eat Complete, The 21 Nutrients That Fuel Brain Power, Boost Weight Loss, and Transform Your Health. Another book called 50 Shades of Kale, which sounds kind of racy. The Happiness Diet, which I want to eat. And his new course, E-Course, Eat to Beat Depression, helps people maximize their brain health with every single bite. And he goes between New York City, which is kind of the epitome of urban life, to one of the most rural places in America, rural Indiana, where he lives with his wife and children and parents on his 127-acre organic farm, which is amazing. (laughs) So that's pretty powerful. Now, welcome,
1: Drew. Drew. Thank you, Mark. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. So it's 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 fun for me to be here with you because back when I was a little baby psychiatrist, I had this idea for a book, and I was thinking, you know, God, I just finished residency. We didn't really talk about food. Is there anybody thinking about this? And there was nobody except you. <laughs> and I got that book. I remember still reading. I remember I was on the plane. I I just started cranking through it. And so thank you. I, I'm I'm here
0: in part because of you. Well, I I wrote that book. Uh, it was for consumers or people who are interested in their health. But actually this it was it was also written with a subtext for doctors. Cause a lot of stuff I don't think every <laughs> person would understand, like methylation and sulfation and fancy biochemistry. But I felt like it was important to get it out there because when I uh started practicing functional medicine, I would take care of people's physical health and improve their gut function, improve their immune system, optimize their nutritional status. Uh, and help them balance their hormones and all these really simple things. Well, simple through functional medicine lens, not what typical doctors do. And what happened was that people's mental health got better. Their brains got better. And it was, at first, it was kind of confusing to me because I was like, wow, how did this happen? Because there's this thing called the blood-brain barrier, and what happens in your body stays in your body. It's like Las Vegas, but doesn't turn out that that's the truth anymore. <laughs> and uh, that's really, uh, I jokingly call myself the accident psychiatrist. People with bipolar disease and OCD and ADD and uh depression, anxiety, uh, all these problems would get better. Not only that, but things like Parkinson's and dementia would also get better. And I was like, well, what's going on here? So I began to really look at the data, and this was 10 years ago, and there was... Quite a bit, even back then. But now, I look back and it's like, wow, those were things that were really in the infancy. And nobody was talking about, it. and you start to talk about this. But there aren't many psychiatrists around who are talking about gut flora and mood or the immune system. That, that's or, changing. I mean, that that's one of the exciting things
1: happening now is is food, is medicine, is becoming more of something that that gets embraced and gets understood. as really critical, especially to prevention i think we're just seeing more you know people people talk about the microbiome right there's a there's a a randomized clinical trial on for straight-up clinical depression last fall using a probiotic we have two randomized clinical trials looking at the mediterranean style diet to treat clinical depression so it's you know it's an exciting time and right now. They showed benefit. And they showed tremendous benefit. Yeah. I mean, it shows so much benefit. They, they, I mean, you you know, if you fail antidepressant treatment right now, you get one of the treatment protocols. We get put on something like Abilify and an atypical antipsychotic, right? Augment augmentation strategy. That's yeah. your evidence based protocol. A nasty drug. N- that's, non- that's
0: what they use to treat schizophrenia.
1: They used it. and then it crossed over. <laughs> I like Abilify. I like Abilify for what we call it a little little ego glue. I mean, when you need it, Abilify could be a good medicine. But what's interesting is the number needed to treat to get that right. And find that right patient it works for is about 10. With the Mediterranean-style diet, what the trial, trial showed us, the number to get that right to, for it to help one person was four. And, you know, compare that. You so know, that means term, you
0: treat 10 people to bilify, nothing happens. You know, one person gets one better. One person gets better. With food, you treat four people with food and one, one gets, gets, gets better. better. So and, it's and a much better drug than the drug. I mean, it, ta- <laughs> it tastes better.
1: It has fewer side effects. And it's what, you know, it's what whether you need a bilify or not, I think the part that concerns me and, and concerns you, is nobody gets food to start with. Nobody gets a, 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 um, a much instruction around food when you get out put on medications, ranging from, hey, this is how long you're going to be on it, or hey, you know, there's a little weight gain, let's really dial in your diet. We don't mention food, and that's just, that's a huge, you know, beyond the meds, it's just a huge blind spot, both for health care in general, but really for mental health, and that... Your brain consumes more food than any other organ in your body. Mm-hmm. Every other field of medicine, you go to a cardiologist. You know, you, you know, we might not agree with the advice that they give, but yeah. at least they talk to patients about food. Gastroenterology, they say eat better. Yeah, they say eat better. <laughs> they say eat better. And, you know, um, and so it's yeah, they say eat better,
0: eat more carbohydrates. Whoops, <laughs> it's true. I mean, I at Cleveland Clinic, I, I joke about this, and the, you know, the head of cardiology there doesn't agree with this, but on the floor, the diet when you have a heart attack the heart healthy diet is a low fat high carb diet of course
1: my dad had <laughs> still quadru- today quadruple bypass in southern indiana amazing small hospital because they really know how to do it well there and you look at what they bring them right afterwards and it's like some hydrogenated soybean oil you know not butter whip and a roll yeah. and um some applesauce
0: yeah, pretty bad. Or and pancakes and here. syrup yeah, or just burger and fries n- not, just to stimulate their appetite. Not what you would want for heart health. No. So how, how did you as a psychiatrist trained in one of the top institutions in the world somehow realize that food was relevant and that the stir we had about mental health wasn't the real story?
1: Well, I think it's, I'm a psychiatrist, so let's start with my parents. I mean, I grew up, my parents, (laughs) when I was six, moved to really, really rural Indiana. So we, I grew up in Crawford County, which is just- Were they hippies or something? They they were part of that back to the land movement, that original, I mean, they still have their original Rodale copy of organic farming, and they got, you know, it's funny now to think back, we're in this time, there's so much fear and anxiety politically, and they were in a period like that, where people wanted to- Get away from all of the technology. Yeah, they wanted to get away from the man and grow their own food and put up solar panels Mm -hmm. and uh, swim naked in their pond. You know, the things that that folks uh, did out in the country. And so I grew up out there and well, so, not the average farmer, I would just say. Well, you you, you and I maybe know some different farmers, but yeah, <laughs> you get a farmer out on a moonlit night, you never know what happens, Mark. But, <laughs> okay, all right. So we were way out there in the middle of nowhere, and we built that we built our own house with with you know with some help and and moved in and started growing a lot of our own food. My dad's a, a, a professor and my mom's a educator and a librarian and and settled into this community and when you live on a farm like that, it just gets, it gets into you. Just, it was interesting moving to the city where I just missed this whole amount of information of just the smell of the forest right now. Uh, How's this, this kind of sweet smell in the yeah. smalls, the leaves decay. It's true. And Every the, season has a smell. Oh, so much smells that are just, uh, you know, the way the forest just blesses you where you walk out. And I remember the first time that we were uh, harvesting our honey, my buddy Ian, who a uh, photographer shot 50 shades of kale, but he's my good friend. We grew up, right? He was on the farm down the road. And we we're out. We said, let's, let's take a break. Let's go walk in the woods. And we walk in the woods and there is this huge orange streak going down one of our little streams and we got closer and it was this big chanterelle bloom. Wow. And we just go back with pounds and pounds of, you know, these like mushrooms. really, yeah, really gourmet mushrooms that, you know, here in the middle of nowhere, just kind of, they're just there. It the costs like $30 a pound. in Yeah, New York exactly. City, right. right? <laughs> just we like, and so it's uh, so I think probably uh, my interest in food came from that. I've got a, 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 my parents really, or my dad's always been a label reader and a really healthy guy. And, uh, um and and paid a lot of attention to what he eats both my mom and dad have and so I, you know as i went through medical school went through training it was interesting during that period of my life i was a vegetarian low-fat vegetarian following the latest advice yeah a real healthy guy played. i was in on that too yeah i mean it was i think all of us were i did uh, exercising a lot and, and eating lots of snack well cookies and then trained in psychiatric columbia and you know I mean that's a wonderful institution. The guy who wrote the DSM, Bob Spitzer, taught me the mental status exam. I mean yeah, it's just right. it's it's um, it's a storied institution for mental health, and so it was wonderful to, to to be there and have a foot in that, and then also have this other foot that for a long time felt separate, mm-hmm. and that this was that was my like secret. I'm yeah. like from the middle of nowhere. A lot of people call us rednecks or country folk or whatever, and um, and you couldn't really you know let that out. And then it's been really nice. That's, like, changed. I don't know exactly. Maybe I got a little more confidence, but also I think as people got interested in food and started to respect farms and farmers, all of a sudden this was, like, an asset. And so, in fact, I could drive a tractor and split wood and, you know, grow kale and not just talk about food, but, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, live the reality of trying to grow some of our own food you know suddenly that was uh you know something that we could talk about so that that's been really nice for me my analyst has been happy about that
0: (laughs) that's good so let's get into the food thing because you've written a bunch of books about it Uh, you just published an article in the world journal of psychiatry which is an analysis of food and its impact on mental health was sort of a meta review of all the papers that were written about it and you Come up with some very interesting conclusions looking at both nutrients and foods and how they impact health and mood. Is this something, is this something you learn at all in psychiatry now or is this just kind of still on the margin?
1: Well, I think we're learning now. So, for the past five years, we've had a food and and uh, mental health workshop um, at the American Psychiatric Association. Oh, wow. Last year, David Boulay came. So, the chair yeah. of our scientific committee, Philip You know Mus- how he got into all this, right? But I wouldn't doubt maybe you had something to do with it. <laughs> Have you seen his fermentation workshop going on? He, amazing. He's,
0: he's, did- a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a chef. He's one of the top chefs in New York. He's well, an and guy. he's
1: like, I would say he's like one-third chef, one-third magician, and yep. one-third healer. Yeah. cuz David is he's uh, Chef Boulet is is a is a forced to record with. But, they
0: closed his main restaurant which had been the top restaurant in New York for decades to start a food as medicine program.
1: Yeah, and and for research he's been spending all this time in Japan researching fermentation. So so I think that's a good example of People would say, we don't talk a lot about food, and we don't in our training programs yet. And, and, and that's in part because, like all of medicine, there's this really slow translation we have. We have a huge problem, and how do we innovate quickly? That we have a research finding, and how do we quickly begin to adjust our clinical care model to reflect that research? Because that's what evidence-based medicine should be. So you'd think, wow couple of clinical trials a whole lot of correlational data saying food matters for depression mm-hmm. you think every center that's interested in treating depression would at least have a nutritionist there and, and I think some do and we're seeing more so much. integration <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm trying. you know I've tried to You're fighting I, the good I've tried to still cheer but you know yeah um, I'm inspired by places you know like Eskenazi hospital has a kale farm on their roof yeah that's a public hospital And talking about food and getting, you know, when when I see places like that where they start following and they do an intervention and they see that there's 50 more percent plants being consumed by their staff Mm -hmm. and they get excited about that, like that's progress. But you're right, it's not happening as much as it should and, and
0: that's why we're all talking about it. But you know, in psychiatry they really, they go, oh wait, we know that, you know, what your diet is has an impact on your mental health. Does there like a, if you go to a psychiatrist, any psychiatrist in New York or. But they go, yeah, I think there is. Or they I, go, think well, it really, don't know. I think there is. I think is. You
1: know, I got. Uh, it's funny. I bumped into one of my buddies who's like a hardcore researcher, Alex Chernovsky. This guy's like one of these big, giant brain MD PhDs. And I bumped into him in the park gosh, two or three years ago. As this stuff start, started to get a little bigger, and I and I said, you know, am I am I kind of not? Is this is this like am I supported by science? And he just looked at me and he's like, Drew. The idea that people eating well is good for their brain? Yeah, I think we'd all agree with that. <laughs> right. And so I think all psychiatrists would agree with it. I think some wouldn't feel as empowered as they should to say something. That, that some of it is complicated, some of it's cool biochem, but a lot of it eat more leafy greens, eat more rainbow vegetables, the kind of things we do in uh, both eat complete and in eat to beat depression of thinking in food categories and, and thinking in basics like this isn't rocket science. This is like, get rid of refined processed foods, <laughs> get rid of garbage. Eat, you know, I, I quote you all the time with that, eat the food that God made, not the food that man made. That's like yeah, one of my folks, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't, and with your psychiatric license or psychology license or your, you know, where, wherever you are in the mental health care system, to just encourage patients as we do with so many other lifestyle factors, give them that nudge. Yeah.
0: To, Sleep, to, stress, yeah, exercise. Exactly. I mean, exercise they say works better than antidepressants for exercise,
1: depression. exercise beat Zoloft at 18 months. And it's one of those things that I think so strange. Like, I love I, I, I prescribe a lot of Zoloft and, and I find it to be a helpful medicine for some people for the right people. But you know, the thing that we don't do is we don't say, look, I'm I'm also prescribing you exercise. I want to report next week. Right. And that's that's the that um we're very uh, good with psychotherapy and with psychopharmacology and with helping people change behavior, but it just, it, it's, it's not been something that we have done enough with. Like, okay, the most important behaviors that we really change, you know, are exercise, food, sleep hygiene, and to really make psychotherapy active in the way that, like, all right, I definitely want to talk about your mom. Really interesting. I want to talk about your dreams. Super interesting. I want to talk about all your intimate issues. Interesting. But, I want to make sure that this week we're thinking about something that we've learned and making a change, that kind of coaching model of, I have a coach in my office and I'm like a little jealous because her patients, you know, they get like we talked about four things and here are your goals. And I was like looking at my patients thinking man, they're going to get a little jealous. You leave my office with like some deep thoughts. But Really, um activating and making act. What we call active psychotherapy, making yeah. psychotherapy an active, engaged process. That that
0: yeah, just tell me more about that, right? And well, that made you feel. Yeah, <laughs> I mean,
1: there's a time for that in a sense We call it. Um, and good good psychotherapists understand what's called surface to depth. And surface is there's time to get action oriented. There's time to to really support someone. And depth is when you know it's time to get into that really the nitty gritty. But but where. What I've been struck by as a psychotherapist, because I, I spend gosh twenty hours a week at least doing psychotherapy, is that knowledge of our deep self. We we really have to help patients translate that into action, behavior, in right. action and behavior. Right? A knowledge of your unconscious mind, in my opinion, absolutely critical to your mental health. I've well, been part- in psychoanalysis for twenty years. i mean, yeah. yeah. I, I'm one of them. I've been in psycho. <laughs> I started in psychoanalysis when I moved to New York. So I'm like a farm boy, and there I'm in psychoanalysis. I've done a little psychotherapy, and I was in med school and i would say that is actually the like my secret power like i'm well analyzed and and when i think about and is that translating to behavior change for you it does it translates to a lot of behavior change it's really translated to a lot of behavior change in um my sense of uh, how we as men in the world um, need to think about our behavior i think it's changed a lot in terms of my i'm an only child in terms of a uh, thinking about what that means in terms of how i think about peers and how i kind of think about siblings in a certain way so mm-hmm. so i find it to be a really powerful supportive and, and nuanced idea um you know no,
0: knowing ourselves in that way but it's got to be like well i always say active. it's hard it's hard to be you know not be depressed if your thyroid's not working or your vitamin d's low if you well, are not it's it impossible it's, it's like, impossible not to be depressed i mean that, that's the thing that i think so often So we, i would say you know that all that stuff's good you can work on your beliefs on your your past history your lineage nope. all those things really are great but it's so much easier if you're not struggling against this oh, you, physiological no, you, you actually can't do that work I, I would argue that
1: you can't engage in your mental health if you are nutritionally depleted if you have really awful sleep hygiene if you I mean you can engage but you're not you know if you're in a bad mood and irritable or have low energy because your thyroid is off or your B12 is low we're going to spend a lot of time talking and theorizing why that might be when actually there is no psychological reason for it. It's right. that your, your cells are thirsty and hungry. Right. And, and that's when you look at the nutritional insufficiency rates in America, right? What's a critical brain Amazing. nutrient? Zinc forty eight percent of americans don 't eat enough every day vitamin E probably one of the most important fat soluble vitamins ninety six percent of americans don 't meet the recommended daily allowance, It's um, just um, like, like whole grains yeah, you know this i mean it 's just like
0: what um, <laughs> magnesium forty eight percent fish oil omega three is right. not plus don 't even ha- we don 't even
1: have a recommended daily allowance of long chained omega three fats unlike every other developed country in the world, and so yeah. we don 't even have a nutritional deficiency rate because we don 't have a standard it 's really uh, yeah. It, it, it's it's alarming, especially when increasingly people are distracted, people are pulled into all kinds of strange ideas mm-hmm. and diets about nutrition, people are pulled away from farms. I mean, I've seen stats like 70 to 80% of all food consumed soon is going to be prepared by somebody else. And I think something about you and I as physicians is that we, we both have chef's knives yeah. and Physician, we both farmer chef. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you know, you you prescribe it, you cook it, you grow it, and that's mm-hmm. how you know it, and that's mm-hmm. how you, I,
0: you know, that is really in my mind walking the talk. And uh, so let's back up here a minute. Okay. So if if uh, someone's listening and they have depression, anxiety, mental health issues, um, what are the ways of eating that actually cause a problem? And then we'll get into what are the ways of eating that. Actually, can fix the problem. Yeah, that's then we'll get into the such a day. great
1: question. Let's start with the problem at the end of your fork before we tell you the solution. And the problem at the end of your fork. A lot of people know those words that you know. Everybody knows I'm about to say sugar. Everybody knows I'm about to say trans fats. Everybody knows I'm about to say processed foods. And so the, the surprise, cook, it the surprise, causes everything. Right? It causes everything. Cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's, yeah, and depression. And, <laughs> and I think what's really been striking to me as a psychiatrist' interest in behavioral change and as an eater and as a parent, how do you change uh, those from being concepts to being behavioral and action-oriented items in your own life? And so what's causing the problem very simply is is not getting enough of the right nutrients. And I would argue for a lot of Americans missing a set of nutrients. Americans are not not getting phytonutrients because they're not eating plants. Americans are not getting uh, seafood because they eat 14 pounds per year Period, and it's fish sticks. It's not yeah. the seafood that we would want them to eat. They're not, you know, this is not shrimp ceviche and wild uh, salmon on. Uh, and, yeah. and they also uh, there's, a, I think, a problem that isn't just around the food choice, but is around, uh, I would say, the missing spirituality of food. Hmm. And that, that people have, we've lost our soul about food. And when you tell people to eat well, there's a notion that, well, that costs too much or it takes too much time or I don't know how to do it. And right. I think those are our missing lies. And, that, yes. and, and and I think it's just, I mean, I have my, my mama taught me how to cook and she's taught me that recipes start with olive oil or butter. Garlic and onions. Pretty and then, much. And then you add in what you put in some vegetables in that and, and you're you're good, right? You put in some meat in that, you're good. You um and so it's it, pretty much how I cook. Yeah. I mean <laughs> I think it and what I'm I'm shocked by things like when we make our lentil soup at home, we make a lentils, carrot, celery, and that's it. We put it in a crock pot. And I love serving that dish for people like, Wow, what's in here? Right. And it's like it's lentils. Food. Yeah, carrot celery, <laughs> a little bit of pinch of sea salt. So anyway, th- those are what's Uh, on the end of the fork that's causing the problem is first of all people aren't eating with the fork right people aren't taking a deep breath and engaging their digestive system and people aren't in any way offering up gratitude or thanks for that most people some of you all are out there doing that but the number of times as we did when we were we had that wonderful dinner with well and good and we sat Mm -hmm. there and i'm sitting there next to gabby Bernstein, and i'm thinking like i've been out in the midwest like you don't eat until you say grace right and i said let's let's have a moment and everybody's ready to give thanks and yeah. bow their heads for a moment she said such a wonderful uh grace store food for us so th- those kind of things it's not just that, that 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 garbage is on the you know it's not even your fork it's in the package that you're eating or that it's on the go it's that we've lost that notion of where it comes from and and valuing that and honoring mm-hmm. that and mm-hmm. um, we're doing a better job as you know honoring the farmers who grow it you know who are, you know, these silent heroes. You know, talking about a healthcare crisis. I mean, talk about physician suicide. I mean, the biggest threat to farmers right now is farmer suicide. I mean, we're just losing dozens of farmers a day. It's the number, actually came out a bit, there was like a little confusion, like who, what's the top uh, risk group for suicide? Was it farmers or doctors?
0: And I was like, you know, either way, it's just awful. So is there data, science, proving that sugar and processed foods cause mental
1: illness? Well, let's talk about the data set that there is. The The big data set, and there's controversy about this data set, is correlational data. And the controversy is that's really misguided us with a lot of nutritional policy per, you know, s- smart folks looking at that. I, I really like the writing of Gary Taubes and Peter Atia, who kind of look at the science behind correlational studies and have some serious questions. Yeah. But but if we're going to think about that data as being useful, that data is very clear. When you eat more processed foods, which means simple sugars, mm-hmm. trans fats, um, and, and a lot of simple carbs, in all those ways that you know, it's not just sugar, folks. It's like you know, you know, fructose syrup and what I love cor- corn syrup solids. Right now they so, changed the name of high fructose corn. Right. syrup. Right, it was like it's like sounds like a corn, kind of like corn syrup. Corn you know? is healthy. Like, it's like, a like maple syrup. You know? and so uh, th- those are you know the things that that certainly we want folks to to avoid and. Uh, What does the data say? If you eat uh, highly processed foods, you have, you know, 50 to 100% increased risk of clinical depression. If you eat high glycemic index foods, there's a great uh, study that came out of a colleague at Columbia uh, looking at high glycemic index foods. So those are foods that just spike your blood sugar more. Those uh, uh, have a significant increased risk. uh, Individuals have an increased risk of depression, the Women's Health Initiative. So big, big study of of women ages 45 plus. And so there's that correlational data, and it's just consistent. When you look at the meta-analyses of it, it's consistent that the food that we've created in the last 100 years leads to uh, an increased risk or increased risk in that population of depression, same data for ADHD, not as much data for anxiety disorders, which is interesting, uh, but, but certainly feels true to me clinically. Then we move on to randomized controlled trials. And the reason this is of interest is, is on the molecular side, like in the mouse models, yeah. we, you know this. in the I mean, you know, not having enough nutrients and putting lots and lots of fuel in any sort of- What does depressed mouse form? look like? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what, what depressed mouse looks like? I mean, it, 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 there's very, it's very clear what depressed mice look like is you stick them in little cages and they don't try and, uh, and you put them into swim. It's a forced swim test. And when mice are depressed, they don't fight to get out. They just stop swimming. And they drown? We, we don't let them drown. But, but they would drown if you didn't fish them out. Whereas non-depressed mice, um, they're fighting to get out. Yeah. That's what a depressed mouse looks like. So the randomized controlled trials that came out recently are exciting because we can say it makes common sense. We can say on a molecular level it makes lots and lots of sense. We can say it makes sense in the correlational data. But you and I know, Mark, medicine's not going to change until we have randomized clinical trials trials. And that's where folks like uh, Felice Jacka and Michael Burke and the Food and Mood Center in Australia, they're really, I would say, the leaders in this, where they've completed a number of trials. Natalie Parletta uh, is also um, not part of that group, but say part of the leaders in this. And and now they're putting down numerous randomized trials and creating resources for patients with mental health concerns like depression to make sure food's part of the equation. And, And their data looks quite strong. And and what I love about this is when the data comes out, it's funny, one of the big leaders in psychiatry, um, won't mention him by name, but been very critical, it gets really criti- – it's funny, there's a big big post about how and some, you know, one of these health medicine review websites about, you know, how, how bad the trial was or how small it was. It's like yeah, yeah. fighting – And I'm Everybody's thinking,
0: always criticizing each other about the study. And I was like,
1: <laughs> so when we don't have data, you say there's no data. And then when people do a really good trial, you want to pick it apart. Yeah. And there's some feeling that that it it's 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 almost like, you know, folks have really people don't
0: like paradigm shifts. Well, and I mean,
1: is this how bad it's gotten, Mark? That we're yeah. at a paradigm shift? We're suggesting that our our patients, our neighbors, our families eat well for things like uh, when they're thinking about their brain and their mood and their dementia yeah. risk and their depression. Like we've gotten so far down the rabbit hole of medicine that that's a paradigm shift. Yeah. Like that—that's yeah, it—is absolutely not. And, and
0: there's so, you're right. There's so much data. Like, you know, you might be aware of Hiblin's work, which was from the NIH, which showed the Captain Joe, shit. Captain yeah, Joe Hiblin is like a, a, he's a pretty cool guy. hes
1: the—he's uh, the leader of the, what he, he calls himself the—he uh, is the uh, surgeon. He's the Surgeon General's. He's a soldier in the Surgeon General's Army. That's, there you go.
0: And he did these amazing studies looking at the rise of omega three omega. I mean, the rise of omega six fats, refined oils. And the decrease in omega-3 fats leading to violence, homicide, suicide, uh, and that changed behavior. And I remember once coming back from, you know, somewhere and I had a letter on my desk uh, in my office. And it was from a prisoner who wrote me a letter, read my book, Ultra Metabolism, way back when and said, you know, I was a violent criminal all my life. And I realized, you know, that when I changed my diet after reading this book in prison, I don't know how he did that. That he realized he was a very different person, and they've done prison studies where they feed pe- pe- prisoners healthy diets and they reduce violent crime by fifty six percent. If you give them a multivitamin, it reduces crime by eighty percent. Well, you can in just,
1: prisons. Yeah, you can just see that the the notion that we you know we don't approach that right. What is criminal activity, and violence? So some of it stuff we don't understand. Some of it certainly horrible character pathology, uh, but some of it when we think that this is a population that in general does not have good nourishment no. in general, um, you know, does not learn a lot of mental health skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there's a way that that some of what's going on there is certainly just a result of a broken system of mental health care. And, and I would say a broken system of our culture. I've been really, uh, I've been inspired this month by Benjamin, uh, the Benjamin Rush biography. And the reason is that I didn't know anything about Benjamin Rush and Benjamin Rush, as one of our youngest founding fathers, he is uh, the second youngest signer of the Declaration of Independence and the only I think one I think the only physician signer yeah and he is our original American physician they called him uh, the American Hippocrates back in the day and he's also our original psychiatrist and he founded the first mental hospital and he helped us found this country on a very very simple principle which is that when we think about mental illness, we can't put people in asylums and say that they don't have spirituality or they're sinners or they're bad people, that we as physicians are going to treat them as patients and we are going to care for them. And that has just inspired me to really think mm. about what's happening in our country and how bad our mental health has gotten and how we all know about it. And we're just finally starting to talk about it. Uh-huh. But we were, we were founded as a place where we should have freedom to talk about this. Yeah. I'll get you a copy of the Benjamin. Yeah, run- it sounds it's fantastic. Like every well, doctor that, should read it. So,
0: so, so, Drew, uh, you wrote this paper. It was published September 2018 in um, the psychiatric journal, and and it was really quite detailed in terms of its analysis of the types of foods and nutrients. So help us take this home. What are the things that you learn from there that are the most important nutrients we need and what are the most important foods to help us get those nutrients and just in general to help us? For sure. For mental illness. And so
1: the simple, the, the paper's called Antidepressants Foods and, and folks can and check it out and, and it's an open source article. And, and I did this with my colleague, Dr. Laurel LaChance and quite simply it's, it's arithmetic, it's bean counting and we went through all of the literature looking at all of the, the essential nutrients, uh, vitamins and minerals. And did a literature search to say, well, well, which of these have significant evidence that they can help prevent depression and that they can be used to treat depression? And there are 12 that we found. And, and I bet you could name all 12, Mark. I mean, they're, they're the 12 we would expect. Omega-3 fats and zinc and B12, vitamin E, magnesium. Iron. And then Iron. And so then we looked at uh, just a simple, what a nutrient profiling system is, is it just tries, to, it's just a, a system for looking at what foods have the most of those nutrients per calorie. And then what a good nutrient profiling system does, and Dr. LeChun and I really wanted to create a good one because oddly there are, I think, 27 nutrient profiling systems in the world that have been created. Some people have seen ones like the Andy or NuVal. You know how many have been about mental health? None. None. And so what we a good nutrient uh, profiling system does looks at food categories. So we're not saying kale, 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 and people say, well, I don't like kale. You can't eat too much of it. You don't yeah, know yeah, hypothyroid. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> no, it's toxic now. Now it's toxic work. But what we say is leafy greens, and so what we did is we scored. Um, uh, we looked at all of the uh, all of the the top foods for these nutrients, scored them, and then created a list of the top plant and animal foods. And so they're they're you know first of all they're the foods that top the list, which I just think are are interesting. Like oysters, clams, and mussels are in the top five on the animal side. And the reason there, we yeah. did animal foods is that no nutrient profiling system usually has any meat or any animals in it because it's all based on calories usually. And plants always have fewer calories. But most people eat meat or seafood, so we wanted to give folks a list of yeah. which, which had the most nutrients. And why
0: were why the shellfish the top ones?
1: top ones, because think about uh, oysters. Why do they top the list? You got 10 to 15 calories per oyster. So let's just say, you know, six oysters, 60 calories. And for those 60 calories, you're getting 768 milligrams of long-chain omega-3 fats. You're getting 340% of your vitamin B12. You're getting, uh, gosh, at least a third of your iron. You're getting 500% of your daily need of zinc. You're I mean, and on and on and on. You're getting even some vitamin C in oysters.
0: Okay, let's now, go get some oysters. Yeah, exactly.
1: All that for 60 calories. And that's just, and on the other side, looking at plants, like things like watercress top the list. Mm-hmm. And why just watercress? Lots of nutrients, no calories, or very few calories. And so that's a great example of nutrient density, those foods. And so the food categories that people should be looking for are things like leafy greens, the rainbow vegetables, more seafood. And if you're eating meat
0: and red meat, to look more towards wild red meats or grass fed red meats. Mm-hmm. So this is fascinating. So the diet that prevents cancer, heart disease, dementia, depression, and fixes most chronic illness is the same diet. <laughs> it's 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 really it's well it's
1: where we got off in of medicine. We kind of separated out mental health and brain health from the rest. Like like you're saying, kind of like somehow the blood brain brain barrier was like thou shall not pass. Like we we didn't think that sure those same all those same activities that we, we, we think about in terms of our general health and the foods we want people to eat and the things we want people to do, move their bodies, uh, connect, be part of their community. Yeah, that,
0: that's key to your brain health and your mental health. Yeah, and, it, and the trouble with you know, our food supply is that it's often depleted. Even if you're eating the best foods, you know you have an organic farm the soil matters in terms it really, of what's in the food yeah and if you're growing in depleted soils um uh, which most of our soils are more like dust and dirt well they're just like and
1: chemicals in chemicals out i mean it, it's really you know if you if you if you grow you, live, you know if you if you live by the food you grow you don't you know you don't do it the way that a lot of food is grown and even you know even organic food it's funny as you, as you drive through the produce spell and I encourage people to do this, and you look out, you know, you'll see organic stuff out there. Yeah. But it doesn't look like a, it doesn't look like a healthy farm somehow. It's got a lot of food on it, but it doesn't smell right. The people working it, they, they, I don't know, they don't seem happy in a certain way. The, the,
0: it's. because of their big monocrop organic yeah, farms. Or yeah, yeah, it's a big, big monoculture. You know, you look at they a big. till the soil,
1: which yeah. is produce great soil. And, they, they, there's a ton of tillage, there's a ton of diesel spent, there's a ton of compaction and, yeah. And and it's a real, I think it's a challenge right now. Because, industrial organic is what Michael Pong calls it. It is. Yeah. And 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 in a lot of ways, you know, that's been a huge victory because mm-hmm. we have a conversation better. about organic, right? <laughs> it's better than... And organic you know, was just found to reduce
0: cancer by 25% of people who had it.
1: This French study, right? I mean, yeah, it is, yeah. it, it, so there's, you know, there there's something there. So it's a step in the right direction. But when you think about uh, where I'm from and you drive around, we... We, our soil is pretty rough in Crawford County, but boy, you want to, I would say that a lot of places, Mark, where we live, if you'd take a lot of Americans, they wouldn't know they were in America because it's just that whole central notion that central America or middle American notion of a small farm and what that looks like and how that functions. Some cows, a couple pigs, not a monoculture, uh, a nice garden, for all your food and for sharing with your neighbors. That has died in a way. Yeah. And and I,
0: I think like Wendell that, Berry calls it the unsettling of America.
1: Yeah. And I think that we, you know, maybe dead is not that's on life support and and maybe we're seeing a shift now. I It I seems hope like it's coming back. Shift. There's
0: more smallholder farms. And-
1: I hope so. I mean it's definitely coming back. You see it you see it on the coasts and you see it around urban centers. But there, there's still a lot of places that don't um you know where it's not uh it's not happening that Mm -hmm. that kind of combo of um you know uh, i would say agritourism and interest in food but also just interest in farms but i'm Mm -hmm. i'm hopeful
0: so 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 my question was going down the path of okay if, if our even organic isn't the best that it could be if the foods have been bred in a way to create more starch who a lot of the phytochemicals have been bred out of it the nutrients aren't there because of the soil even if it's the best organic form uh, and by the way dan barber and uh, and walter Robb, a former ceo of whole foods are who created a seed company to actually reinvent new seeds mm-hmm. to, to breed them so they have flavor and they have nutrient density and they're phytochemical rich. It's a very different idea than breeding them for yield or for pest resistance or water or drought. But they're doing all that too, but they're they're doing both. So the question is, if that's true, then do we need supplements? And do you use supplement, nutritional supplements in your practice to treat mood disorders? So... I think even with the food we have today, you
1: can still get all the nutrients you need. It's actually challenging. If you look at all the recommended daily allowance and you think what you would need to eat to meet that, yeah. it's a little challenging. Yeah. It requires some thinking about it. I always oh my God, to yeah. tell people, no, just eat nutrient dense food. you will be fine. But if you start scratching your head and, and adding up, it can be tough. Yeah, I had
0: I just to stop, I had a patient once who was like I don't want to take supplements so I literally looked every food up and I'm like okay selenium it's in Brazil so I have two Brazil nuts a day <laughs> like that, I have yeah. 17 <laughs> pumpkin <laughs> right, seeds exactly. I have you know two cups of you know <laughs> yeah. broccoli or whatever it is right. and, and I was like okay fine if you want to do that Go ahead. Let's check your nutrient levels. Well, I have that problem where I, I don't like the
1: idea of turning a meal into a math equation, and so yeah. I myself, I mean, I'm I'm 44, and I, I stopped taking all supplements probably about maybe 10 or 15 years ago. I guess that's not entirely true. I'll take I'll take a little omega three sometimes, and certainly in my practice for non seafood eaters or for individuals who are just kind of eating seafood every now and then, especially for individuals who don't want to try uh, you know a medicine and they've never, and even for individuals who do. I'll put them on a uh, one to two gram milligram uh, grams of fish oil. I mean, in the trials that that you know, the fish oil is, is very in the science in the sort of studies of depression is one of these things that has statistical significance, but it's not able to show clinical significance in the meta analyses. Mm-hmm. That you get about a point reduction on a you know Hamilton D uh, depression rating
0: scale. Mm-hmm. That said. Uh, well, you can't take fish oil and be eating, like, processed yeah, oils. exactly. Which deplace, displace exactly. it. And you can't be eating piles of sugar. I mean, it's like, yeah. you that,
1: know. It, that, you know, and you wonder a this lot of these the, the studies are designed. Well, you right? wonder, one, do they control for that? And two, you know, we have all these SNPs now in the elongase genes in terms of how we process omega-3 fats. Those are genetic variations. Yeah, so. I mean, there's that. There's also the, you know, if you have somebody who's a seafood eater versus not. But the, the, um. The bottom line is I think that there are certain supplements uh, that that should be tried, especially when people are struggling with traditional uh, like antidepressant response. Like a lot of people I'll see, they'll have been on a medicine. It works some like with mm-hmm. cheerfulness or with sleep, but they're not eating well. And for whatever reason, they're not going to start eating well. So that's a really good example of somebody who a multivitamin or something with zinc or magnesium, um, certainly anybody who's low. I mean, I always have that feeling like if you're low, I definitely like... Do you test your patients? Yeah, yeah. I test... I I don't do as extreme or not even extreme, maybe as thorough, but I certainly test everybody. I mean, I think what you were saying earlier, I think any mental health clinician who misses... I mean, this is malpractice. If you miss a thyroid problem, a B12 deficiency, syphilis, I mean, there's a bunch of biological causes of depression. And I think you and I see that get missed sometimes where it's like, this is not... This is not even functional medicine. This is just basic medicine medicine. it's (laughs) all
0: good medicine yeah it's good medicine i mean i i you know in my practice i see the common deficiencies you're testing are vitamin d magnesium omega-3 fats sometimes iron yep and the b vitamins particularly around homocysteine and methylation issues which is this cycle of folate b12 and b6 and so i find that giving people a multi and fish oil and vitamin d and maybe a little magnesium usually has enormous impact. In well, you
1: think is that even if you're going to get them to change their food right away, there's some, you know, that, that takes a little bit. And, and but even I mean, with
0: changing the food, I, I, feel, sometimes I feel like we're so depleted. It's just.
1: Yeah. Well, it's hard. And it's also, it's really hard when you're depressed. Yeah. You know, so, so I think what, what uh, and it you also gives people something <laughs> to do. Yeah. Cause you do. I mean, depression causes a lot of carbohydrate craving and a lot of, you know, we eat, we call it comfort food for a reason because we eat it when we want to be comforted. Right. I mean, I know when I'm in that bad spot, man, I'm I'm a mac and cheese guy. Yeah, like, gives you a little we, serotonin. Yeah, a little don't boost, give me right. don't give me any talk about carbs. I need like my right. comfort food. But yeah, it's yeah. um I, I think it's something else. The other one that's I think exciting is the L methylfolate. It's just exciting in the idea that Which we're is
0: actually a prescription drug for depression. Well, it's, it's called a Deplin, but yeah.
1: It's, like, <laughs> it's a B it's a B vitamin right, that gets you surfed by Am I allowed to say that? It's a B vitamin that got usurped by Big Pharma is the yeah. way I think about it, which is yeah. you have L-methylfolate, which is folate that has a methyl group added onto it. And instead of that being five bucks, it's 200 bucks. Yeah, but, but you can get it for five bucks. You can you can get it. For, but the idea that we're just now, because this is going to be the next frontier mark, as you know, which is we're going to start really getting into precision psychiatry I mean that's my most my favorite new center at Columbia is the Center for Precision Psychiatry there is that there's, there's a center for precision psychiatry there's a center for practice innovation there's a center for women's mental health I mean Amazing. we there's there's going to be a, there's a new center for media and mental health that's coming wow. online and precision psychiatry is just that which is there's no, I mean, one of the things I think it's interesting is there's nobody that's more critical of psychiatry than our, like than ourselves. Yeah. Because nobody sits with the, fa- like, and sees the failure. <laughs> well, nobody sits with it. Like, you know, in, in, until you sit with getting an antidepressant prescription wrong and, and then getting it right and knowing that somebody suffered because you didn't make the right choice. It, it, when you sit with that, you want to get it right more than anybody else, yeah. because that's, that's her job. And so it's an exciting time between the new knowledge of the microbiome, the psychiatric genetics, which it's not there yet, but, man, it's getting close. It, we're, we're, I hope, going to see the tide turn on our methyl, mental health epidemic. We are going to see the tide turn on mm. our mental health epidemic, Mark.
0: Yeah. We won't rest until it does, deal. No, no, we can. No, it's, 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 I mean, it's the food, stupid as, you know, to paraphrase a former president, but it's like, it's, it's, people don't get how powerful it is and how impactful and how quick it works.
1: How do you get people to see it the Because I feel like when we tell people, hey, eat right, feel right, they, they get that. When we say, you know, food, you know what I food. do?
0: I, I, I just, I think, you know, often incrementalism doesn't work because people don't see a change. So people are eating a crappy diet. So just stop the soda. But they're eating like garbage. Right. They're not going to feel better. Right. So I put people usually for, I said, 10 days you can do anything. So I put them on a, basically an elimination diet. I call it the 10-day detox diet mm-hmm. for 10 days. And they can experience, without me telling them, the changes that happen in their body, in their brain, in their mood, their energy, their sleep. And it's quick. So usually you can get people to do anything for 10 days. And then... They go, oh, okay. Well,
1: well, they have to. I mean, I think you, you, any good behavioral change. It's like yeah. we, we can't tell you, you can't read about it. Mm-hmm. The study's not going to help. The mm-hmm. sound bite, the science. Like you have to experience it working. And as soon as you experience that, that extra energy, yeah. that that better. What I find the better sleep quality. Yeah. Where you know I'm expecting to hear like more mood, more energy. And people are like you know, Doc, but I'm, I'm really sleeping better. Yeah. And all yeah. those ways that you know that that yeah. then makes you know, nothing affects mood. I would
0: say like sleep. So. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's amazing. Well, uh, if you were able to change psychiatry and you had sort of an autocratic you know wand that you could wave, and I got to be the emperor of psychiatry. yeah, I mean, would you throw out the DSM5, would you say, every psychiatrist needs to get trained in functional medicine, nutrition, and well, what I would do- you do? I do a few things.
1: One is I'd want America to really meet psychiatry. Because I think so often when they think about psychiatrists, they think about Freud, they think about some old white guy with a beard, and they don't think about like our current president, Altha Stewart, first African-American female president of the American Psychiatric Association, or they don't think about my colleague Christina Mangurian, who's she was like one of these stellar, she was my medical student. Now she's the vice chair for health equality and diversity at UCSF. And so these are women who are leading psychiatry and we are diverse and we, we are desperate to find, uh, um, well, we're desperate for a few things. When we're desperate to better, we have a lot of solutions. We have, for example, I just, you know, the number one way to treat schizophrenia or to keep people with schizophrenia really well it's not an antipsychotic that helps for a lot of them with symptoms, but it's a job.
0: And so mm-hmm. there, there's a
1: program uh, spearheaded by the office of mental health and Lloyd Setter in New York and, and Columbia center for practice innovation that, that looks at that and now makes sure that there are, I think there are 7,000 families in New York who are getting employment support when yeah. they have early. So, so, Basic but simple things that are not medical care thing.
0: that are things that happen outside the hospital. Yeah, simple and so I would want
1: to. I would want to see more programs like that. Um, I think that uh, there needs to be certainly training in. I would say not just nutrition, but also in um, lifestyle and lifestyle modification. Mm. I think that gets dumbed down in medicine in general, yeah. and we don't we don't know how to do it. And I think a lot of times doctors don't think they should do it, and, and maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But what it's doctors hard. need Writing to a do, is easy. yeah, and but even writing a prescription for food and exercise, some systems, that's all they're going to do. But building out that capacity, um, I would want us to, I guess the, you want to hear my number one change. I guess I've come upon this this week as I've been really thinking about innovation in mental health. The number one change I want to see is I want us to stop meeting patients when they're mentally ill. I want us to start meeting patients and helping them stay mentally well. Because the most powerful tool that I have as a psychiatrist is the power of prevention. And no one comes to talk to me or think about talking to me or fights the stigma to talking to me until they're late in the game, yeah. and and that's great. I'll, I'm going to get them better wherever you, wherever you meet me. I'm going to help get you better, but uh, I'm going to help you get yourself better. Actually, is the way to put it. But but. I hope that what changes and what is changing is that we start having a language to talk about our mental health and recognize that we all have this mm-hmm. that I think people think about folks like you and me one of the things I love about you is you talk about being depressed and people think oh you're a you know, brilliant successful physician you're an innovator like you don't have depression and it's like no you know you you do and you have and that's what that's what I hope is going to change. In terms of the field and the DSM and the diagnostics, I mean, there are smarter guys than me thinking about that. I think that's just, yeah, we, we, we're going we're to have a reckoning. That the way we've been doing it, it has been necessary. Yeah. Without the DSM, we, we couldn't yeah, that's do that. That's DSM. a way of labeling people yeah. based on symptoms yes. for what mental
0: illness they have. It doesn't tell you why. It, just it doesn't you tell why. you
1: why. It's a symptom-based diagnostic approach because <clears throat> we, you know, it's it's hard. We don't know why. Like what I love is now just to, now. There's a big idea in psychiatry, not a big idea, but a new idea. You know, the inflammation has a lot to do with depression. Yeah. Now that's been an idea mm-hmm. in functional medicine and and in wellness a, yeah, for 15 years. 20 years. Yeah. So that that's yeah. changing and mm-hmm. i think that we're going to see more of an integrative model I think the other thing is I, I would just hope that we come out of the shadows a little bit and that we're collaborating and integrating more and more um, especially with
0: wellness yeah i agree i think rethinking mental health and then changing our meaning we attach to a lot of it which isn't necessarily always psychological often is but it's not always and how do we combine that with a psychological approach that's that's the original,
1: you know, the original psychiatry, the model they teach us is the biopsychosocial model. and if, Except they usually leave out the bio. <laughs> well, okay, well, you know, the bio is, they leave out some of the bio. That's sure. serotonin, well, right. That's giving Serotonin is like not, the worst brand thing that happened for psychiatry. Like why is like serotonin one, one of, you know, up, hundreds of, of, of molecules in the brain. You know, yeah. Nobody even knows about BDNF. Like BDNF right. is a hormone that makes your brain grow. Right. That's the one we care about. Like yeah. that's what food and exercise and yeah. psychotherapy all have in common. We're oh, like, hung up on
0: serotonin. Well, Dr. Ramsey, it's been a pleasure having you on The Doctor's Pharmacy. You've all been listening to Dr. Drew Ramsey on The Doctor's Pharmacy, a place for conversations that matter. And if you love this podcast, please sign up for listening to it wherever you find your podcast. Share with your friends and family on social media. And please leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. And if you want to know more about Dr. Ramsey, go to DrewRamseyMD.com. Learn about his work, his books, and check it out. See you next time on The Doctor's Pharmacy.